0: We'll find ourselves in the book of Leviticus tonight. I believe this is what the Lord wanted me to do. I had another thought that I was going to share, but I feel like this is, this is the direction that God has given us. Now, there's not a whole lot of messages I could say that I have probably preached out of the book of Leviticus in my 22 years of being a pastor. It's probably not my favorite book to read through annually. <laughs> it really is. There's a lot of things that to get in there, and I'm trying to think, okay, what is this all about? Now, of course, the book is the first five books of the Bible, Genesis, that tells us how God started the human race with, Abraham, with Adam and Eve. That's how he started the, the, the human race. In chapter 12, we see how he started the Hebrew race with Abraham and Sarai, or Sarah. And so he started the Hebrew race, and of course, then God begins to tell his story through his people. He tells about creation. This has been a lot of time in creation. Um, matter of fact, most of the book of Genesis revolves thirteen chapters around one man, Joseph, and he was a type of the Lord Jesus Christ in specific. But that's kind of the book of Genesis, the book of beginnings of the he of the human race and the Hebrew race. Now, at the end of Genesis, the God's people are in Exodus, and they they are in Egypt, and they need an exit. They've been praying; they're under they're under great duress. They're slaves. It's getting really bad. And uh, there's lots of things going on, and they're saying, God, please help us. They've been there for a long time, 400 years. And so that uh, 70 people that moved into, to, that, uh, moved into Goshen with, uh, with Joseph now are over a million people. Maybe some think a million and a half, two million. It's a large group of people, but they are enslaved. And they're being treated very poorly, hurting, screaming out, asking God for help. And the Lord sends a deliverer in Moses. And the book of Exodus tells us uh, how God exited his people out of Egypt. Egypt is a type of of the world. Pharaoh is a type of Satan. In slavery, that's what we have without without Christ. And, of course, Egyptians have a way in which uh, uh, they lived and, and they were used to, and God's people were there, and they'd grown up in that. They knew some things better. They knew they were different than the the Egyptians. But but Egypt had definitely blended into their mindset. They had been thinking like the world. But salvation came to them when God did a blood sacrifice. When the lamb was, uh, was killed and the blood was over the doorpost. And because without the shedding of blood, there's no... There had to be a bloodshed, and that bloodshed came, and that gave the children of Israel an opportunity to exit out of Egypt, a type of the world, and away from the bondage of Pharaoh. May I just say to you, once they exited out, remember who got excited about going after them? Pharaoh. He was going after them. Now, he, he, he'd already, they'd already been exited, but he's going after them. By the way, have you ever noticed when you win people to Christ, when you work with people... A few weeks, a few days after they get saved, and now all of a sudden the Satan comes back and gets his long arm into them, into them and begins to say, no, get back over here. He can't take him to hell. But he can try to stir up their lives and, and create all kinds of problems. And that's his, that's his M.O. That's the way he works. And, and that's why we need good disciplers and prayerful exhorters and people who will pray and be patient and work with people and continue and don't give up on people. It's, it's di- very discouraging. When uh, you do have folks who, who do run good for a while, but then they fall off the planet or they struggle, it's very discouraging. But it's uh, fallen into satanic tactics. That's why we have to pray our way through that. That's why we need to be patient through tribulation, uh, fervent in prayer for our people. But nonetheless, the book of Exodus chapters 1 through 40 talk about God getting his people out of Egypt. And in chapter 40, he tells them about the the tabernacle, and how to set up the tent, and how to set up a place of worship, and he gives instruction to Moses, and then he instructs Aaron, and they begin to gather all the materials to set up the moving place of worship that they will go while they're wandering, until later on when Solomon will build the temple. So Genesis, a book of beginning, Exodus, how to get his people out of Egypt. But the book of Leviticus is unique because it is intended to get Egypt out of his people. And all of us, when we got saved, we uh, we got saved from sin, saved from Satan, we were passed from darkness to, to light, from, from death to, to eternal life, but we still got a lot of Egypt inside of us. I got it inside of me, and you got it inside of you. Stinking thinking. A wrong way of of thinking, a wrong way of talking, a wrong way of of uh, of handling problems. We've got a lot of that in us. And God gave the Book of Leviticus to the Levitical priesthood. They are the sons of Levi. Those are Aaron, and those are the people who are going to teach God's people His word, His word and His ways. They're going to begin to communicate God's ways. And teach him God's, God's uh, word and, and his ways. And that is what Leviticus is about. A lot of it's in types and shadows. But he's going to teach him a new way of worship. This is so foreign. Because Abraham didn't get this information. And Isaac and Jacob and Joseph did not get this information. This is years later. And now he's going to say, no, this is, but all of it's in types and shadows of the Lord Jesus Christ. And early on, he tells them the different offerings, the meat offering and the grain offering, the cereal offering and, and the trespass offering. And now we're going to talk tonight, talk about the burnt offering. The book of Leviticus kind of, it's, it's, it's segmented in three different concepts. One is, the, is, is the, uh, the rituals that he wanted his people to do on a regimented basis. Some of it was to express their gratitude and their love to the Lord. One of the reasons that God wants us to tithe is not because he needs our money. One of the reasons he wants us to have special offerings and give to missions is not because he can't get the gospel without us. But he wants us to have a partnership with him. And he wants us to learn to give because we want to, because we get to, because we can show our love and our gratitude to God. And he wanted his people to do the same. He didn't need the grain that they would offer him. He didn't need the the meal offering or or the the animal sacrifice. Those are all types and shadows and opportunities for God's people to direct their worship to him. He's teaching them a new way of worship. But you see it in in the worship. But then you see instruction. Where we are tonight in chapter 6 and verse 8, they begin the instruction specifically to the priest. Because priests were representing God to the people and representing the people to God. And, uh, by the way, in this day and age, according to 1 Timothy chapter number uh, 2, you and I are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood. You are representing Christ and the Lord to others around you. Uh, it is you are rep- You're standing between the living and the dead. You're standing and you're representing the Lord and you're representing others to God. That's when we pray. We're praying to God for others. And we live our lives in a, way, in a good way, in a place that we can show his glorious light to other people. We are representing our God to them. And he talks to them about things that priests had to do. And then at the end, his main thing is holiness and purity. So rituals, the priesthood, and purity. Those are the things he was pushing his people to be. And pure, not only with ourselves. Pure verses chapter 16 and 17 are with the, are with the day of atonement, how you can be right with God. And then chapters 18 and on is how you can be right with other people. You'll see rules on how I'm supposed to treat you and how you're treating me. And if we, if we have things we need to borrow or we, and they break into our presence, how do we deal with that and how we take care of each other is there. And then of course, the last challenge, Moses gets up at the end and says, now this is God's new way of doing things. Are you in? Are you going to do it God's way? and they ask for a commitment from the people. And the other way, an invitation. Some churches are stopping doing invitations, but I do believe an invitation is a very important part. And we find at the end of Leviticus, when he gave them all these things, he says, all right, what are you going to do? What are you going to do with it? And when a pastor has an invitation or a preacher gives an invitation, you should never find yourself, and it's a worldly thought and a, and a, and a, 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 a fleshly thought to say, oh, I don't need this. I always wish to would quit the invitation. I've had those thoughts come to my mind. You've had those come to you. But whenever God puts out something, he wants a response. He wants to know, what do you think about that? How long halt you between two and two decisions? You know, if God's God, serve him. Choose you this day who you're going to serve. Who's on the Lord's side? And he tells all the people in the Liticus, he said, look here. Where are you? Are you ready to join in on this covenant? This is what God tells us to do. Are you you going to worship his way? Are you going to practice purity with yourself, with him, with others? Are you guys in on this situation? Are you going to offer the offerings that he suggested we do? Are you going to continue to bring down every year to Shiloh? Is Is this what you're in? Are you going to be in and out? He challenges them. Are you going to sign on to this new covenant? And I love the things of there. I don't understand everything about Leviticus. And I can honestly tell you there's a lot of things that have more questions than answers. But what I do understand about it, and by the way, the Old Testament shares with you God's thinking. Every once in a while you get someone who gets, uh, you know, they don't think tithing is for the New Testament Christian. Eh, I, don't, I don't want to fight about it. But the truth of the matter is, I believe God has revealed his thought all through the Bible. You can't find tithing in Paul's epistles. He doesn't use the word tithe. But I do believe that Abraham started tithing before there was a law. His, Jacob, he tithed. It's in the law that God wants a penny out of every dime. And by the way, if people learn to tithe the rest of their life, they're required to be in church. To bring the tithe, not send the tithe, but to bring it. So they're supposed to come. And place and bring their gift to the Lord. Well, if you commit a lifetime, I'm never going to steal from God again. I'm going to take a dollar dollar out of every ten, and a ten out of every hundred, and a hundred out of every thousand, and I'm going to show up every Sunday on the first day of the week as God's prospered me, and I'm going to honor the Lord. You do it the rest of your life. You'll be in church the rest of your life. You'll hear God's word the rest of your life. And you'll have more faith, because faith cometh by I found one of the things that people get away from God, they get away from giving. And I don't know how much anyone gives, and it's really not, I don't, it's not an interest to me. I just think everybody ought to. And God's revealed it before he closes out the Old Testament. He said, look, you guys have been away from me, your father's away from me. And they said, well, how do we get back to you? He said, well, will a man rob God? You've robbed me. They said, have we robbed you with tithes and offerings? Then Jesus, he tithed. He commended the tithe. He challenged people to give, and and you can't read the the uh, the, uh, the, the epistles of Paul without him mentioning, communicating, giving, uh, bountifully giving, giving generously. Thanks be to God for his unspeakable gift, challenging us to do that. I think it's beyond the tithe. But he's teaching them this. He says, are you going to sign on to this or not? And I like that idea, but that's not our message tonight. Our message is chapter 6, verse number 8 through 13. He now directs his attention from Moses. And by the way, the difference between the book of Leviticus and and Numbers is kind of interesting. In the book of Leviticus, they have set up, they've set up now the tabernacle. And God speaks to Moses from the tabernacle to Moses. He's outside. It's interesting when he speaks to Moses for Numbers, he is in the tabernacle with God. When he speaks, it's kind of an interesting thing. But he's on the outside, listening to God, telling him how to do this, and now he does it. Now he's turned to talking to the priest. And he tells Moses, you tell Aaron, who is going to be the high priest of Israel initially, here's how he's going to do it. And he's told him about several other offerings already, chapters 1 through 6, and now he's going to talk about the burnt offering. And it's a little unique, but he's just telling him, listen, among many of the responsibilities in the temple... In the tabernacle, excuse me, one of their responsibilities is they must have keep the fire burning on the burnt offering. They have got to always, even if they move the tabernacle for one place, one of the guys has to be in charge of keeping a fire going because it's going to burn all day and all night to sacrifice. Some of the sin offerings, you burned the entire animal itself. Some of it, you would take parts out, and you would burn part of it and eat part of it as a, as a form of, separa- of fellowshipping with the Lord. But you'd had to have fire for the burnt offering. And he says, look, you tell, the, you tell Aaron, and you tell his boys, that whatever they do, they have to keep a fire burning for the burnt offering. Now, to do that, they would have to occasionally move the ashes of yesterday. I love a fire. But you have to kind of move the ashes. If you, if you let just all this ashes pile up, you're going to have a bad fire. You're, going to have, you're not going to have it. You've got to have oxygen and, and air going underneath. If you let it just sit a pile of ashes, it's not going to burn well. He said, you're going to have to remove. And ashes are an evidence of yesterday's fire. There are some things, folks, that that some of you and I have done in years gone by, but I can't rest on my yesterday laurels. I'm still supposed to be faithful today. I've got to go back in my life and say, well, I used to do this and I used to do that. That's fine. That's fine. Well, move those ashes out so you can have fire today. (laughs) You've got to remove the ashes. You've got to be conscientious. There are several things that keep us from having a hot fire uh, in the burning altar and several things that, w- that will bother us today as well. And we'll talk about that maybe in a few moments. But one thing that you have to do for you, and I can't do it for you, and, you, and I have to do it for me, and that is I've got to keep my fire for God burning. If you'll look at verse number 13, I want you to read it with me, would please? He gives the, the instructions of what, what to do and how to keep the fire burning. Would you read verse 13? The fire shall be ever bur- be burning upon the altar, and it shall... That would be good. We've got about three of you reading with me. Let's everybody read together with me. You ready? Here we go. Ready? Verse 13 of chapter 6 of Leviticus. Everybody? The fire shall ever be... Our Father, I thank you for the opportunity to preach this evening. I believe this is directed by you, and I'm supposed to share this thought. I'm glad we have a Bible that's so full of passages and thoughts, and so many of which I don't understand well, and... Do not have a grasp on it, and I don't really have a grasp on this. but I pray you'd help us, Lord, because we all need to keep fired up. We all need to keep the fire of our soul intended. because the tendency of fire is it goes out if it's not tended. And I pray you please help me, as I share this, I've shared this in different venues around the world. I don't know that I've ever shared it here. but I pray you please help me in Jesus name. Amen. How to keep the fire going. I know years ago, I was uh, working as a school principal in Baton Rouge, Louisiana, at Calvary Christian School. Our youth pastor, Brother Warren Johnson, who has spoken here, is one of my dear friends. He was the youth pastor at the time. He's now been a pastor for many years. But he uh, came to me one day, he came to my office and said, John, because I'm going to take the teenagers to Picayune, Mississippi. I got saved to Picayune, Mississippi. He said, I want to take them to Picayune. And they have a ranch there where you can... You can rent a horse at 8 o'clock in the morning, and you can ride it until 12, anywhere on that ranch you want to. It don't, there's no trail ride. You can just get a horse. They'll give it to you, and you can just ride it. And I'm going to take about 20 of our kids, and we're going to go out there. And, and I really want I think it's going to be a great time. We're going to go out on, on Friday afternoon after school, and uh, going to go out there, and we're going to... Uh, take the bus and then we're gonna, we'll are gonna drive the three hours, two and a half hours, we'll unload and we'll set up camp and play some softball and play some games and then we're going to go get the uh, bonfire going and have uh, devotions at the bonfire and, and then wake up next morning and we're going to ride horses, we're going to have a great time. I said, well, that sounds fun, man, that sounds good. He goes, yeah, I want you to go. I said, oh, really? I'd love to go. He said, I just need a bus driver, Would you drive the bus for me? I said, okay, yeah, I will. I talked to Linda, worked it out, it worked out fine, and boy, I couldn't wait. I was, there was nobody more excited about going on that, on that activity than me. And I remember that Friday afternoon getting out of school and finishing up my classes and going out there and checking the bus out and getting it ready and loading it. And everything went just like Warren thought it would go. Everything was perfect. Had the bonfire, had the devotions, and then, but that night I was, and I didn't have many responsibilities. I just got to watch and drive the bus. And so all the problems that was all by the Warren's. I just kind of sat and watched it and. But well, boy, we were doing that bonfire, I watched a young lady. Her name was Danielle. And she was a pyromaniac. She just loved the fire. I could just tell she lived on Government Street in downtown Baton Rouge. And uh, her dad was a diplomat. And, and, uh, but she's a sweet girl. Tenth grader that year, I think. And she, uh, but she, I could just tell, everything was getting her excited about that fire. She'd get a styrofoam cup thrown in there and it frizzle up. And she goes, oh, that's cool, that's cool. And she would find pine cones and burn them in there. And she thought that was great. And pine needles, a lot of pine needles down there in Louisiana. And she'd put them in there and, and she's, oh, that's great. And then she was sticking a, a stick in there. And then she'd put it up against a tree and tried to carve her name out or something, you know. And, and uh. She was putting on the end of her tennis shoe you know she's putting stick in there and getting a little hole in her shoe and she just was just she was all over that fire and uh, but I was sitting in a lawn chair just watching the watching time go by and one by one everybody began to go wet. I don't know what time it was so probably 10 or eleven maybe closer to twelve and but I was just sitting enjoying the time and got a kick out of Danielle with all the antics she was doing but uh, sure enough everybody had gone to bed Except for Danielle, she was poking around at the fire, and it had gone down a little bit, but uh, I said, Danielle, you better go to bed tomorrow, you're going to be in a horse from eight to, 8 to noon, you want to make sure you're ready for that. He goes, oh, I will, Mr. Wilkerson, but she goes, I, I just want to kind of keep the fire going a little bit. And so I said, well, be careful, and I went in, and I went to sleep. And, but I was the first to get up the next morning to my knowledge and I opened my zip, zip, unzipped my tent. I looked out and I saw a little measly little fire and then I saw someone standing by the fire. And I walked over and uh, I said, hello, Danielle. And she, i never forget this if I live to be a thousand years old. She, she has a stick in her hand. And she turned around to me, and with the biggest smile, she said, Mr. Wilkerson, I kept the fire going all night. And what she did not know is the only thing white on her was her teeth and her eyes, everything. She had singed the front part of her hair getting down there, blowing. She, her eyebrows were singed. She had dark dark black things coming out of her nose. She had soot all over her nose. And, of course, we're out in the middle of the woods, you know. And I'll never forget her taking that stick and said, Mr. and I kept the fire going all night. And uh, she had scavenged the woods. She had gone to trash cans. She found anything she could find that would burn to keep the fire going. And I always always remember that. But you know, the truth of the matter is, it was some tenacity and some passion to keep the fire going. You know, the truth of the matter is someone has to keep the fire going inside of you. For some of us, that's been many years. We had just been Just status quo. We haven't been fired up about much spiritually. I don't think it's most of us, but I think some of us. We have been a long season since we've really been passionate about God, about the scriptures, about about soul winning, about something, building something with the Lord. What are we going to do to keep the fire going? I don't know about you, but I want to finish strong. We have a statement that we say together, and I appreciate it when I hear you say it, all of us, all the way. All of us finishing strong. No falling out, by the way. Everybody finishing strong. But if we're gonna finish strong, we've got to keep the fire going. There are some enemies to fire. Sometimes it's peer pressure. Sometimes you just get with the wrong people, and they're just you might as well just take a big old bucket of water and pour it on your fire when you're with them. They make jokes about the things of God, they don't really care about that. They just you got bad friends. And sometimes it's peer pressure. It doesn't matter if you say, well, Pastor, I'm glad you're talking to teenager, I'm talking to you. <laughs> I'm talking about the people that you associate and you allow to associate. Sometimes it's peer pressure that, that dampens our, our passion to keep the fire going. Sometimes it's preoccupation. We just we just preoccupy with other stuff we're busy we're working we're trying to provide for a family or or we got involved with golf or we got involved with this sport or this situation or that thing and, and it takes up time after time or sports and things that that really are, are hobbies that just we're just the things that we could do we don't do we just want to get more and and we don't know when enough is enough. And just get all we can and can all we get and sit in our can and tell people how much we have in our can. Just get, get stuff. We're always thinking about the next party, the next event. We get preoccupied. Because the tendency of fire is that fire goes out if it's not tended. If you don't put, up, if you don't put some fuel on it, if you don't put the pine cone, it's not going to burn. It's not going to keep going. If you don't find some wood, I, I love a fire in the wintertime in our home. But really, a good fire for me lasts about 20, 25 minutes, and then i got to find something else to put on top of it. Because you'll, you'll sit there and you'll get cold. You've got to keep putting it on there. So what are, some, what are some fuels that could help us keep our fire hot? I'm going to give you a couple thoughts that come to my mind. Number one, I think we've got to give the fuel of forgiveness. Oftentimes, people let the fire of their soul go out because they're hurt over things that have happened to them, bitterness, anger, malice. I was reading in First Peter chapter number 2 this afternoon thinking about this passage of Scripture and he, he says, wherefore put away all malice, all guile, all hypocrisies, all evil speaking, because if you don't put that away, you're not going to grow. As newborn babes desire to sincerely for the word, you may grow it by. If you don't remove some things out of there, you're going to dampen your fire. You're not going to keep that fire hot. And I don't want to spend a lot of time on this, but it's just a common problem. And if Satan can't take you to hell, he'd rather take a second best, and that's get you bitter, get you angry, get you frustrated. Get you thinking about things that negative that happened to you at the expense of all the things that God's done for you. Many people go to their grave with a flicker of a flame at best because they won't forgive offenses. Are you that way? Do you have some things you close your eyes and you think about a person? You think about an event? I can't fix you and you can't fix me and, and I can't take that away from you and you couldn't take it away from me. But God has a design for hurts and His forgiveness. He tells us in Colossians chapter 3, verse 13, Forbearing one another and forgiving one another. If any man have a quarrel against any, even as Christ forgave you, so also do ye. And be ye kind one to another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, even as God, for Christ's sake, hath forgiven you. Most of us, we love the fact that God's forgiven us. But we really have somebody else by the throat. And you can hold them by the throat until you go into eternity. But you're going you're to do so at the expense of your fire of your soul. Unless we deal with this with this thing. How can I fuel my fire? You offer forgiveness. So why do I have to forgive? You forgive because you got hurt. They have to be forgiven because they actually did something wrong to you. On the cross, things that Jesus did, he chose to suffer for someone else's sin. He accepted the pain of that day, of the day today, and then tomorrow, and potentially the rest of eternity, having not scars, but wounds. A constant reminder of our pain. What he did, he said, Father, forgive them. On one basis, they don't know what they do. They know what they did, but they don't know how it affected me. And then into thy hands I commend my spirit. I'll let you take control of these hurts and these, these offenses against me. I'm going to let you control them. You control my attitude about that. Many folks, the fire of their soul begins to wane. And it's not burning. It's not ever burning because of a failure to forgive. Number two, I think, selfishness. And living for others. Selflessness. Not being selfish. You know, most marriage problems are caused by someone who's got too hard of a heart. Somebody's too hard the Bible, Jesus said, you know, for the, the marriage, the reason there is any kind of divorce is because of the hardness of heart. That's why the Bible says, forgiving, be kind when they a tender heart, a tender heart, keeping a heart that's tender, living for others, not living for yourself. We live in a selfie generation. I've joked around about this, but I was standing, that that's a couple years ago, I was standing in the airport, listening to watching this girl take pictures of herself, you know, and I mean, she was taking all kinds of pictures and, mm, 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 and picking her tongue out and all this other stuff. And I was like, man, this is so stupid. She's just taking all these selfies. And then I realized I was in all of them, you know. Because I was standing right behind her. Like, man, this girl's dumb, you know. And I'm like, ooh. You know? <laughs> like, ah, oh, man, what am I doing? But we live in the selfie generation. It's what's best for me. The Bible says, look on every man on his own things, but every man also on the things of others. You remember the poem that Brother Howells would quote so many times. Lord, help me live from day to day such a self-forgetful way that even when I kneel to pray, my prayer shall be for others. Others, Lord, yes, others, let this my motto be. Help me live for others, I may live more like thee. And help me in all the work I do to ever be sincere and true and know that all I do for you must needs be done for others. Let self be crucified and slain and buried deep in all in vain. may efforts be to rise again and less to live for others. You want to keep the fire of your soul hot? Forgive offenses. Think about someone besides yourself. Don't live in your comfort zone. Find out what is it that God wants me to do. You make that visit. You you help your Sunday school teacher. You you work on that bus route. You do things outside your... you, You serve. You come back on a Sunday night. You're faithful. You're you're doing it. You're not doing it. By the way, when you come to church, you're not just coming for you. You're not just coming for God. One of the things I think we need to understand about about church attendance is that the Bible says this, not forsaking the assembling yourselves together as a manner or something. Some people don't do it. He says, says, don't do like that. But so much the more, and the next word is key, exhorting one another. Part of the reason you and I assemble in this church is so I can bless you, and you can bless me. So I can greet you, and you can greet me, and so I can see you. Frank, when I saw you coming, tonight, I was so glad. I'm glad you moved from this section. This is a bad section over here. I'm glad you got over here. This is a better section. The truth of the matter is when I saw Frank, out, I'm happy to see Frank. I love him. He's my friend. And I li- I'm better in, in church. I'm, I'll tell Linda tonight. No, I'm so glad Frank came tonight. Because I'm better when he's here. You're better when other people show up. And so many people don't do what they're supposed to do because it's it's all about them. It's all about them. Hey, what can we do to keep our fire burning? How can we keep it hot? Forgive offenses. Live for others. The next one I think we must give time for prayer. Two things are birthed out of a real life of prayer, and that is vision and passion. If 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 you've lost vision and passion for what God wants for you to do, begin a relationship of prayer, and they'll come back to you. If you find yourself apathetic and just leveled out, start praying. Start giving time to the Father and spending time with the Lord. You're going to find that passion will be birthed out of that, and it keeps the fire going. The Bible tells us, what what was the church doing when the fire of the Holy Spirit came upon it? Do you know what they were doing? They were praying. They were all in one accord, and they were praying. And then God's presence moved. We find that throughout the book of Acts, when pray, people prayed, something happened. If you want to keep the fire going, forgive offenses. Live for others. Don't live for yourself. And then ask God for help. Be a person that goes to the Lord for help. Take your care, make it prayer. Take no thought. Don't think about tomorrow. Don't think about fashions or fitness or food. Those are things God's got. He said, take no thought of tomorrow. He said, it's sufficient today is the evil thereof. Trust me. Where am I going to be? What's going to happen? Forget about that. Be what God wants you to be today and ask Him for help today. If any man lack wisdom, let him. You have not because ye. You. you want to keep the fire going? Keep praying. Keep that relationship with God. Keep asking for wisdom. Ask for your needs. Uh, live for others and forgive. I think another thing that really helps us keep the fire going is when we make continual commitment. Amen. You know, every man needs to look into the wife of his, eyes of his wife from time to time and say, I will never leave you nor forsake you. I'm going to stay with you. You're important to me. I'm not going to leave you. You say, man, if I said it to my wife, she'd feel so, I'd feel so weird. She wouldn't feel weird. She longs to know that there's commitment there. I, we learned that from God, right? How many are glad that God's never going to leave us nor forsake us? Aren't you glad there's another verse of the Bible that says, uh, yeah, if you get me ticked off, you're out of here. No. No, I'm glad. He says, no, I'll be with you forever. Lo, I am with you. Yeah. I'll never leave you nor forsake you. We need to make commitment. You know, many folks lack peace because they're not committed. When you make commitments, it's like, you know what, I'm in this thing had a beautiful lady. I don't know if she's here tonight, but I do know that, uh, that she's had a very rough road to hold. Some real challenges that, that would have broken any other woman I know. But this this lady, you know what, you know what really calmed her heart is when she said, you know what? I'm waiting on the Lord. I'm committed to God. She didn't see another exit plan. She just said, you know what, I'm going to commit this thing to the Lord. Commit thy way into the Lord. He'll bring it to pass. He's going to help you. Sometimes we struggle, and when you don't know if you're in or out, the double-minded man is, make a commitment. Say, I'm in this thing. You're in a marriage? Stay in the marriage. Now what can I do? Love a little bit more? Trust God more? Trust God determined to stay? You're in a situation at work? Just, Just stay committed. Throw it over to the Lord. Cast your care upon Him. He cares for you. There's a, there's a peace that comes when people make commitments. It's one of the reasons I think God wants us to be married and not just live together. He wants you to make a promise. It's not love that keeps the marriage together, it's commitment that keeps love going. I'm in this thing, till death do us part. And the same is true with the work of God. And the Bible says if we do not consider what Jesus went through, such contradiction of sinners, we'll be weary and faint where? In our minds. I want to keep the fire going? I do. Amen. I'm going to have to learn to forgive offenses. I'm going to have to learn to look beyond myself and look on the things of others and live in a selfless life, not in my comfort zone, but what is best for others? What's best for God? What's good for God? Not what's easy, not what's convenient, not what's comfortable. What's, what's good for God? I need to seek Him and ask Him and, and, and get a relationship with Him in prayer. If you want to be close to God, you can be. If you're away from God, he didn't move. That's your fault. That's my fault. Draw near to God. He will. He's ready. He's ready to move with you. Make prayer a priority. Make a commitment. And then lastly, I would have share this, is enjoy serving God. Get involved. Sam Jones, years ago, was preaching and he preached at a, he would have a revival meeting and Sunday morning he'd preach against sin. Sunday night against sin, Monday night against sin, Tuesday night against sin. I mean, but if people had courage to come back, they they, they were they were giving up everything because he just whacked away at sin, sin, sin. He preached the law of God and went through the Ten Commandments and all the wrongs that are there, and and he preached hard against it. By Thursday night, anybody who showed up enough times, they were they were they wanted to be right with God, and he would have a testimony time, and he would say. What are, you, what are you giving up? What were you doing that you that on, on last Saturday night that you have given up? You're going to quit. And people started saying testimonies. They said, you know, I, I was disobeying my mom and dad, and I'm going to quit. I was talking bad about people, and I want to quit. I've been drinking and problems with this thing or in lust, and I'm going to quit and whatever. They were just telling all kinds of stuff. After numbers of testimonies, one little lady in the second row stood up. She's an older lady. And she said, Evangelist Jones, I haven't been doing nothing, and I'm going to (laughs) quit. And if you're doing nothing, quit. Get involved doing something for the Lord. This is something I find that it's something that people who stop, stop getting involved in some form of service. And we can't do everything with energy that we used to do, but we should do some things with urgency. But stay faithful. Stay involved. Find something you can do. Say, Pastor, I don't know what to do. Come see me. I'll try to help you. Come see your Sunday school teacher. Say, what could you give me to do? What's a job I could do? Say, well, Pastor, that's a little below me. Nothing should be below you. Greatest of these is the servant of all. And when something's below you, that's that's an indication of a prideful heart and God's going to resist you. You'll find yourself, what is it God wants me to do? But there is no, there's no reward for well done, thou good and faithful spectator. God wants us to be involved in doing things. And I find that when we keep our fire hot, it's when we're engaged in service. Amen. Brother Rick Martin, we prayed for him this morning. When he went to the Philippines, his goal as a missionary, leaving Hiles Anderson College, going on deputation for one year, he and Becky prayed that God would help them. Their first goal in the mission field was to train 35 soul winners. It wasn't to have 100 people in their church. It wasn't to have 200. It was to train 35 soul winners. His thought was, people who are engaged in winning people to Christ will do anything. They'll sweep floors, they'll watch nurseries, they'll sing specials. They'll do, they'll do anything. But people who serve Lord, here's what happens. When I find myself in seasons of apathy, where I've stopped being busy, here's what I do. I get real critical. I find problems in everything I see. But when I find myself engaged in ministry, I'm too busy to find all the problems. I'm too busy serving and involved in things. And this is no way to be about... Well, here's what I'm trying to encourage you to do. Just like he challenged the priest, and you and I are priests. He said, look, among all the other things you're doing, you've got to tend the fire. Let it be ever-burning. Let it never go out. And that's your fire. And that's my fire. And I don't know exactly how it is, and I know it can be attacked because of peer pressure, it can be attacked because of preoccupation and prayerlessness. But here's a few things I think if we put on our fire. We put forgiveness... Selflessness, prayer, commitment, and service. I think we're more apt to have a fire that's burning in five years and ten years and when we stand before God one day. If you find something pushing that fire down and keeping you from doing it, stop. Face it. Are you are you bitter? Are you selfish? Is your prayer life a joke? Are you committed? Are you all in? Or you got weary and quitting on your mind? Are you involved? We ought to serve the Lord with gladness. I find these things are just very simple, but they're very important to keep the fire burning.